Welcome back to another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Long, Josh Goldberg with you. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Rob Long 34 and at Goldberg 12 What a difference a weekend makes as the Toronto Blue Jays come off the all-star break, remaining on fire as they sweep away the Boston Red Sox. And uh, Blue Jays Nation Josh is feeling about as high as I think they felt all season long. It helps when you completely annihilate the Red Sox in the first game out of the All-Star break with just one of the more ridiculous games I think I've ever seen. Might have been one of the most ridiculous series I've ever seen. You know, we thought the Blue Jays were playing some bad baseball uh, against, you know, the Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners. Oh, well, you just wait. The Boston Red Sox might have played three of the worst games I have seen any team play all season long. Yeah, as bad a baseball, maybe as any team in recent memory has played. It was truly abysmal and embarrassing. And all of the adjectives are fair. And now, like, it's kind of interesting. The Red Sox have hit rock bottom the way that a lot of us, a lot of people have thought that the Blue Jays hit rock bottom. They did hit rock rock bottom uh, a couple of weeks ago. They fired their manager. Rock, that's rock bottom. When you can your manager, to me, that's as low as it's realistically going to get for the most part. Uh, in a season for a sports team. So the Jays hit it and now they've come back, you know, they're seven and one under John Schneider. The Red Sox aren't going to fire Alex Cora, but they have some hard decisions to make. And are, I, I feel like they're probably more likely to sell. And, you know, like some people were saying, Oh, well, the Jays should look at selling. We on this program never considered that and never mm-hmm. w- would have, but the Jays have done, you know, in the last however many days it's been, almost two weeks since they made the, the switch at uh, the manager spot, you know, they've done everything to prove that they deserve additions. Like, this is going to be a buying team, an aggressive buying team. Like, I would be very, very surprised if they don't make a handful of moves, you know, in the next eight days. The deadline is uh, a week tomorrow, uh, August 2nd. I'd be surprised. Like if they, I'd put the over under, like, what do you think? Two and a half trades, I think is probably a decent over under. I'm taking the over on that. I think they're going to be super aggressive. Maybe they'll pull a rabbit out of their hat or something up their sleeve that we don't necessarily expect, but I don't think it's going to be these like fringy type of nothing deals. Like I think that there will be impact here. I think it's going to be an exciting uh, next seven or eight days. Maybe not Juan Soto, but I think exciting. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting as well. Uh, you just look historically at the last several trade deadlines. This team has made some moves. They, they've made additions to try to improve the squad. So uh, definitely would not surprise any of us if the Blue Jays uh, make some deals over the next week here, especially now that the whole international draft qualifying offer situation has uh, been um, completed. Uh, obviously, there is going to be no international draft. They're going to keep going with the qualifying offer for the next uh, several years. And we'll get into that as it uh, might relate to one Ross Stripling, who uh, we'll talk about in uh, just a few moments time. But uh, I've always said, you know, it's not necessarily who you play. It's when you play them. And I think that's what we saw this weekend against the Red Sox. Are they that bad? No. Uh, but obviously, the Blue Jays caught them at a perfect time without J.D. Martinez. Raphael Devers is banged up. You know, Chris Sale obviously has that broken pinky that's going to probably keep him out for the rest of the year. And you look at previously when the Blue Jays were playing against Oakland and Seattle, they caught the Blue Jays at a pretty good time when they were playing some some poor baseball um, as well. So uh, it just worked out incredibly perfectly for the Blue Jays as they uh, caught the Red Sox in this three-game series. And like I said, yeah, it's not a situation where, you know, the Red Sox are the worst team in all of baseball, but I think there were some pretty strong takeaways from the Blue Jays 
side of things. Um, you know, the three games that they played, I thought the offense looked really, really strong. Uh, they still left a lot of runners on base, you know, specifically in that final game. You know, I think they probably could have scored 15 runs, had a couple of balls, you know, gotten through the infield and maybe there were some better approaches, but you're not going to complain. I know you tweeted about it, you know, good vibes only from you. You're not going to complain about a team that's uh, about to sweep away the Red Sox. But I, I think that's, you know, outside of the pitching, which has been really strong, that's that's what stood out for me, that this offense you know, has looked like it did, you know, in early June uh, for the first half of that month when they, you know, really turned things around. Uh, I'm starting to see that again, better approaches at the plate. You know, guys aren't trying to quote unquote do too much, which I think we saw a lot of, um, you know, for a couple of weeks there uh, earlier this month. So they have gone back now to where there seems to be a lot of confidence one through nine. You could even say one through 11 with guys like Rymel Tapia and Kevin Biggio starting to, you know, get things going offensively. So this is what we talked about at the beginning of the season. This team was going to rake. They were going to swing the bat. Uh, it's been, you know, hit or miss at times. June was pretty strong, and then July wasn't great. April was obviously atrocious. But, you know, we're at a spot here where, where I think we're feeling pretty good about the offense. Doesn't mean that uh, we wouldn't like to see some upgrades. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, it's one of the areas of the team that you're not too concerned about right now. Yeah, they, it, it looks, like you said, the way that we would have expected. They're scoring in bunches. They had a bunch of multiple inning or multiple run innings. Like 28, obviously, like that's an outlier. You score 11 runs in an inning and a bunch of that. I think maybe that entire inning was with two outs. It was just maniacal uh, what happened. But like the at-bats are rolling into each other. It seems like right now things are contagious and guys – are, are puffing their chests out and guys are feeling good and it's infectious. And you might just point and say, well, it's all John Schneider. And I have had some of that uh, popping up in the mentions and John Schneider absolutely does. I think deserve some credit, like the hit and run. And then if you want to call it the run and hit where Chapman scored from first base, they're really only going to, I think, do that with Santiago Espinal is the right type of hitter for that type of uh, maneuver that kind of stuff wasn't happening. And it just seems like, you know, that you needed that kick in the ass, that shot in the arm. And I do think that to an extent, Schneider is providing that and that's great, but the guys are playing better and that was bound to happen. And maybe it was, they needed that managerial change that, you know, the tectonic plates shifting a little bit to shock them into, okay, we got to, you know, we got to get our shit together here a little bit. We're completely underachieving manager just just lost his job there are no more excuses we have to just start playing better and i do think that there is some of that uh happening and we've talked so long and so many times this season about how nothing appears to be clicking at all times it's like you you can't uh hit when you pitch you can't pitch when you hit right now you know knock on wood Things are good. Lots of things are good. It's only three games out of the all-star break. And if you want to throw in the Kansas city series to some extent as well, that was more of a grind, but the Red Sox series bullpen was largely excellent when they needed to be Royal series two. starting pitching has been pretty solid over the last uh, seven, eight, nine games. And the offense is obviously for the most part been very good. So it's only a small sample, but this is what I think this team team is capable of when all the things are going at the same time. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. It's just nothing has come together 
um, at the same time, you know, outside of a little stretch there in June. But uh, now we're back to a situation where everything's clicking. The offense is good. The pitching is good. The defense has been really good. And uh, the Blue Jays are winning games. And uh, John Schneider, 7-1 and one now as the manager. And as you touched on, I mean, people obviously – going to use that as sort of the, the you know, uh, jumping off point that, oh, you know, Charlie's gone and now John Schneider's here and the Blue Jays are winning. But I still think we need to, you know, take it in some context here. They beat up on an undermanned Phillies team. It was a grind you said against the Royals, but it was the Omaha Storm Chasers or whatever. I mean, they're where they were without a lot of regulars. And then this Red Sox team, as we said, they are without J.D. Martinez, Raphael Devers, and guys are just uh, playing like absolute horse shit for uh, Alex Cora's team. So it's all come together. The stars have aligned, but you know, you can't discount John Schneider either. He's had to have had some sort of an impact here. Um, you know, we heard that uh, before the first game out of the all-star break, he kind of just brought the guys together before the game and kind of said, like you said, you know, it's go time, right? Let's, let's get our shit together here. Um, it's uh, time to win some ball games here um, down the stretch. But, you know, when the Blue Jays were going through their rough time against Oakland and Seattle, you know, like you said, we didn't say anything about, you know, selling off or, you know, does this team even buy? I think we were all still in the camp that they need reinforcements. Water, it's, water is going to find its level. These guys are going to figure it out uh, eventually. But now they've really put themselves in a spot here for at least, you know, being in the first wild card spot that they've given the front office more incentive that, hey, there is something here, as you can clearly see when this team is clicking. And if they can, you know, make some impact additions and not a year ago where no offense to, you know, Adam Simber and Trevor Richards, those guys are here now. So you're not trying to add an Adam Simber and a Trevor Richards. You're trying to add, you know, impact pieces, whether it's another starting pitcher, whether it's a couple of bullpen arms, this is where you can really uh, make that difference. And if you just think, man, if they can add a, you know, David Robertson or a Gregory Soto, a Joe Jimenez, you know, a power arm to that bullpen, one or two of those guys, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Adam Simber's pitching in the sixth inning, or the seventh inning, Jimmy Garcia is pitching the seventh, you know, Tim Mesa, guys like that. I mean, man, that just makes such a big difference um, for this ball club. You had a, if we're pipe dreaming here, a Luis Castillo or a Frankie Montas and thinking about, you know, four times a week where you're getting excellent starting pitching, maybe even five times a week. Cause then at that point, you know, Ross Stripling's your, your number five and, you know, a Frankie Montas or a Luis Castillo is slotting into the three, four spot. I mean, that's just a week of kind of kicking your feet up, uh, feeling pretty good, especially with the way Jose Barrios has seemingly turned the page. So, um, you know, like you said, I think we're, we're looking at impact moves here over the next week before the trade deadline. And uh, if they can, you know, land one or two of those guys, not saying that the Blue Jays all of a sudden become better than the Astros and the Yankees. I still think, you know, on paper, those teams are, are probably stronger than the Blue Jays, but it makes it more of a conversation because, you know, you get into a, five game, seven game series against either one of those teams. And it's like, well, I mean, anything, anything can happen uh, as we say all the time in uh, playoff baseball, but especially if the blue Jays can, you know, bolster their uh, rotation, their bullpen, and, and maybe even their lineup or all of it together just uh, really makes you get excited. I, I would say right now, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think the Jays do have the third best record in the American league. And this was just a fantastic weekend. Everything went right. You know, they gained three games on the Red Sox. The Rays had trouble with the Royals. The Mariners get swept away by the Astros, who I do think are the best team in the American league, you know, they have the Yankees number and they're, I just think a better team at top to bottom than the Yankees. So like if the Jays can add the right pieces, then sure they could be right there in the mix with those teams. Like those two, I agree are in a tier unto themselves. And then the Jays are in 
uh, a second tier of American League clubs. And you know, your whole objective for your postseason roster is like find a way to shrink the game as much as possible. And you know, like if the Jays have four quality options in the rotation, then you feel good about you know your one through games, one through three starters, even one through four situation. Then maybe somebody goes on short rest in a, in a best of five series. If you will do, um, you know, happen, happen to, I guess, well, it's, it's the best of three and then best of five, then best of seven. Yeah. So, you know, you have all sorts of configurations uh, and if you can add the right pieces in the bullpen, you know, then you only need those guys to go five or six, and then you can just throw the kitchen sink if you have enough bullpen pieces that you feel confident in, and if you add a couple to the mix here, then you can play the matchups a little bit more and you can tailor your bullpen the way that you want. And you can have just a full arsenal to throw at quality lineups down the stretch and ideally deep into October. So, you know, the objective is clear here. Uh, you know, you know what you need, you got to go out and do it. I understand everyone says it's a seller's market. It's a seller's market. You know, how many teams are selling? I was looking at the standings today. There are going to be a lot of teams who are selling. There's going to be no shortage of talent available. And I think there's going to be no shortage of quality bullpen arms available. The Jays are going to have their opportunity. You just have to identify the right types of pieces that you feel like fit what you need and can make an impact for those holes and go out there and aggressively look to address them and improve. Yeah, if you throw below 97 miles an hour, uh, I don't think I would have any interest. The, the Blue Jays got enough guys throwing between, you know, uh, 89 and 94. Uh, you know, Jimmy Garcia of late has been phenomenal and he has, he has found another gear. I mean, he's like touching 97, um, which is which is nice to see. So he's technically, you know, a power arm, but uh, they need more of that. You know, no offense to Trevor Richards, who's been very good since coming back or, you know, Adam Simber, who's been great all season. You know, Tim Meza has, uh, bounce back nicely here david phelps i mean the, everybody in the bullpen's good but uh the blue jays got enough of those guys uh they need uh something a little bit different to uh give teams uh a different look out of the bullpen but uh let's talk about the uh other pitchers that have stood out and you know ross stripling just continues to get it done he's been so so good since rejoining the rotation a 233 era since june the 6th and as i mentioned before uh the mlb uh, players union rejecting the international draft proposal. So the qualifying um, offers will uh, continue for the next several years here. And I saw some people put it out there. I mean, Ross Stripling said to be a free agent at the end of the season. Um, do you maybe offer him a qualifying offer uh, last year? Uh, it was at 18.4 million. It's the average of the top 125 deals by uh, average annual value. That's, that's a high price for a guy like Ross Stripling, but he's someone that's going to find a job uh, elsewhere. I mean, someone took a chance on Steven Matz last year and it was the, the St. Louis Cardinals. I think people were a little bit surprised that the Blue Jays didn't offer him uh, a qualifying offer for, for Steven Matz because I think people would have been fine if he was coming back on a one-year deal at 18.4. Now, he's had, of a, had a bit of a weird season in St. Louis. Um, the ERA is a lot higher than the uh, ERA predictors, so maybe he's gotten a little bit unlucky. It's been giving up a lot of dongs, uh, which is uh, obviously not what you want to see uh, if you're a starting pitcher. But you know, just getting back to Ross Stripling, is that someone that you would be interested in doing that for, or is that uh, even on a one-year deal? We always say, you know, one-year contract. There's no bad one-year deals, but uh, is that a little bit too rich for your blood if it got to that situation with uh, old buddy Ross Stripling? Yeah, I think that that it is, um, to be honest. And I think personally, 
you know, like the, like you, you, the one, no one bad, one year, bad one year deal. I, that is something that I feel is strongly about to a certain extent, you know, like if it's 18, $19 million, like Ross Rippling to me, we've talked about this still is a five and dive type of pitcher. Like, you know, on Sunday it goes four. I understand it was hot. He was grinding, but still it was, it wasn't a, an egregious decision, especially with an off day. Like uh, you don't want to push him too much because you know, the downside is he could fall apart a little bit and, for 18 or 19 million dollars, that's not the type of pitcher uh, that I want. And I think he's probably at a point in his career where this is realistically his best opportunity to land a lucrative multi-year deal. Like, is he going to get the Steven Matz four-year, 44-ish million, 11 per season? He very well could. Maybe he gets the Kikuchi deal, three for 36. And I understand that, you know, any parallel to Kikuchi isn't necessarily a good thing uh, these days. But like, I don't think that that would be a bad contract per se for uh, Ross Stripling. Would I want to give it to him? I would, that'd be a tough one for me, to be honest. I, I, I might want somebody. Uh, with a little more juice, but at the same time, he's, he's fine tuned his arsenal this year. His changeup is excellent. His stuff is just better. And if he can continue that, then a three-year deal for 10 to 13 million a year, let's say, isn't the worst investment in the world. Like I do think that there is a scenario in which he is back next year. I'd probably put it at less than 50%, but I do think that there is a chance. And you know, like if you had told me coming into the year that that was a possibility, I would have laughed at you. But now I think it is plausible. And it's also not like a, a, the end of the world if he gets that deal. Like I, th- I do think that he can perform up to par if he signs that type of contract. Yeah, I think I think it's that's what's interesting about Ross is that, as you mentioned, he's not, you know, a three time through the order pitcher. Right. Like the, the Blue Jays, I think, have shown this year how to maximize him at yeah. best. And, and he's a five and dive guy. He's been one of the better five and dive guys in all of baseball. I mean, pretty rare that you can find uh, someone that only goes five innings that's, uh, you know, or less that has an ERA of two, three, three, um, you know, since June the 6th. Like yeah. it's, it's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. So I think if, you know, there's other teams out there, you know, keeping their eye on stripling and seeing how he's performing. I don't think, you know, there's teams out there that are like, yeah, the, we can bring him in and have him go three times through the order. Like, this is what he is. Um, he's a swing guy. He obviously, you know, can pitch out of the bullpen. He was really strong there at the beginning of the season. But maybe it is a case where the Blue Jays just say, you know what, Ross, like, you know, we can obviously offer you offer you a lot of playing time here in a lot of different situations. And maybe they can sweeten the deal a little bit here, um, you know, with three three years to, to get him to stay. Um, but maybe that's another case as well for the Blue Jays to be like, you know what, maybe we don't want to go there um, with Ross long term. And at the trade deadline, you bring in someone with a little bit of term. I mean, a Luis Castillo or someone that has some control because, you know, we haven't talked about him at all, uh, probably because he hasn't pitched. But you say Kikuchi is here for another two seasons after this. So the Blue Jays made a commitment to him. He's not going anywhere. So, you know, he's going to be in the rotation when he's ready to return. Obviously, he's going to be here next year, maybe the year after that. So, you know, is there room for another guy like Ross Stripling, you know, on the books for for big money? I I don't know. So maybe you, you know, if you make a deal here for someone with some control, 
that kind of, you know, nudges Ross out the door at yeah. the end of the season. You say, Hey, thanks for all the contributions. It was great, but we just don't have um, the room for you on this roster. We'd rather spend, you know, your $10 million, $12 million a season on a multi-year deal in the bullpen or, or wherever you, you push that money. And of course they're also paying Hunjin Ryu 20 million bucks. Uh, next year to not play so that's that's a lot of money that you're putting into the starting rotation potentially um so it's a tough decision for for the blue jays but um you know one that they obviously don't have to make right now uh with ross dribbling yeah i i i do think that the like we'll see what happens with the ryu deal like what are they gonna find a way to make that disappear i like you don't really see bad contracts get traded in major league baseball like it's like with salary retention and a sweetener like you see in other leagues so i think you're probably stuck with that and then you know kikuchi's a sunk cost are you really going to take on another 12 million or 10 to 12 million maybe you do like maybe they're just reaching a point here where if the club is good they're just going to start sinking a ton of money into the into the payroll every year and you're going to be like i i think you should be in the top 5 but maybe you're 5 to 7 which is not a bad spot to be in and you're okay you know with bad investments just living on your books and continuing to spend where you see fit like that is a possibility but i do think that you know, it's probably still more likely than not that he's pricing himself out here. And you look for somebody who's a little bit cheaper for that back end of the rotation um, type. And like, eventually it's tough. Like you can't spend, 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 spend. Like if I'm okay with that to an extent, you got to be smart about it. You got to pick your spots and is Ross Stripling necessarily the the right guy. Like I said, I, I think that there can be an argument for it. But uh, I wouldn't be like, I'm not going to be that upset if he ends up not being here uh, beyond this year, because there is definite downside in his in his profile that could lead to, you know, some regrettable feelings if you do, in fact, give him that type of deal. Yeah. And uh, I think Hunjin Ryu is sort of a perfect example of that where, you know, Ross Stripling doesn't throw particularly hard. And, you know, if he, that fastball goes from 92 to 90 uh, next season or a couple of years from now, I mean, where is he at then? I know he has a ton of different pitches and the changeup's been great, but Ryu kind of had that as well. Um, but teams sort of decided, you know what, we're just not going to go for any of that garbage that you throw and we're just going to sit on your your stinky fastball and they started pounding it. I mean, what happens if Ross kind of loses the feel for the changeup and some of these other pitches? All of a sudden you're throwing 90 up there like for you from the right side uh, and it's going to be trouble. So he's, you know, 32 years old. This might be the peak for for Ross and obviously we uh, hope that he can cash in on it because the guy deserves it. He's been a really strong pitcher for many, many years here now. Uh, but uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation that uh, the front office, uh, front office is uh, going to have to have sticking with uh, another rotation mates that uh, was making storylines this past week obviously Alec Manoa incredible at the all-star game we all saw it there striking out the side in his all-star debut was on the mic uh, talking smack and uh, it was great to see obviously and then he carried it into his starts against the Boston Red Sox this past weekend uh, telling Franchi Cordero to sit the fuck down uh, <laughs> what did he say to Bobby Dahlbeck called Bobby Dahlbeck a bitch I yeah, think he, I think he did. Called him a bitch sit down bitch or something like that yeah. and uh Look, I love it. I love the the fiery nature. I love when there's, you know, some heat 
from both sides. I mean, AL division rivals, AL East rivals, you know, two teams battling for a playoff spot. You love to see it. Now, John Schneider did talk to him, you know, after he came out of the game and was just like, hey, look, we love the fire. But, you know, try not to show up the other team. You don't want to give them any more uh, fuel to, you know, uh, you know, whether it's spirals out of control or something and, you know, beam balls start getting chucked around. You don't obviously want that. Um, but this kind of reminds me of last year when Manoa came up as a rookie and he doesn't do it anymore, but he used to do the whole thing where he'd get the ball, rub it down, you know, stare down the batter while he was doing it. And the chase had to talk to him about that and kind of tone it down. So that that's his nature. But, you know, I saw some people kind of say, you know, he's kind of getting too fiery, but I, but I love it. You know, he's a young guy. He's just a bit of a wild horse and that's what he needs to compete. I mean, if he didn't have that fire, we wouldn't see the competitive nature that he has. So it's more of a case where I'd rather have a guy have that and you got to talk him down a little bit as opposed to a guy that needs to, you know, find that fire in order to be competitive. Uh, that's, that's sort of the way I look at it. Well, it's like uh, sort of remember the Juan Soto thing where he'd see a pitch and then do that ridiculous, like the stare and the yeah. shuffle and teams hated that. And he doesn't do it as much as he used to, which I lament. I love that. I love that shit. Give me all of that all day. Give me unique quirks like that any day. And people are like, oh, well, he's showing up the pitcher and this and that. Like baseball, there's too much bullshit like that where it's like, you know, we're we're policing anything that is emotional or, you know, wearing your heart on your sleeve type situation. Like, yeah, I'm all for not necessarily going overboard and showing up a team and, and bringing, like you said, beanballs or, or anything else into play like a little passion from time to time. You don't want to overdo it. Like if you're just always screaming and, you know, motherfucking the other, the other guys, like, okay, that, that might be a bit extra, but if you are selective about it, you pick the right situation and the right circumstance to lay it all out there and let it all hang out. Yeah. I'm all for it. Like I, Alec is an absolute beauty. Like he can do no wrong in this market. Nobody's ever really going to say a bad thing uh, about him. And like as impressive as anything is he continues to wow me at how good he can be. Even when he doesn't have his great stuff, like he grinded there. There was that period. I think it might've been in the second inning where he like slipped and, and the ball just kind of fell out of his hand. And everyone was just like, Oh boy, what's going on here. And then his, he was rubbing the back of his arm. It looked like, and then it was like, Oh no, it's his spikes. And then he grinded and he strikes out the side in his last inning, just finds an extra gear when he needs it the most. And it's just, he's pitching way beyond his years. Like he's a seasoned vet who has been around the block and back again. And he's in his first full season as a big leaguer. It's bananas. How good he's been like the veteran moxie that he seems to show when he shouldn't have that. It's just, it's incredible. It, it blows my mind just how, uh, consistently dominant, really good at the very least he's been from the get-go. And there haven't really been any major bumps in the road. For a young pitcher, that's unheard of. Yeah, well, we saw the stat, of course, the the fastest Blue Jay to get to 20 wins uh, to start a career. And it was him and Juan Guzman, who was phenomenal in his uh, first couple of seasons as uh, a Blue Jay. But, uh, you know, I got a bit of a pushback on this earlier in the season when I tweeted it. And I said... I'm willing to go there. Like, I feel like I'm watching Roy Halladay when I see Alec Manoa on the Hill and it's not so much yet. They're different pitchers, different stuff. Like that's not what I was getting at. It was more, 
you know, the, the dog in Alec Manoa, and you know, you're going to get a competitive outing every single time, whether he has his a plus stuff, whether he has his, you know, D plus stuff, he's going to go out there and grind. I mean, you look at his outings this year, how many um, bad outings has he had? He's had one against Oakland, which was just weird. Um, You know, that was just uh, an oddity. Uh, The one against the Yankees and went five and a third gave up four runs, but that's it. I mean, those are the only two starts he's had this year where he's given up, um, you know, four or more runs and he hasn't given up more than four runs. So it's just been uh, an incredible run dating back to last season. Um, You know, I look at his numbers and and it's weird because uh, you know, I see the XFIP sitting at, you know, three, eight, one, I see the XFIP last year sitting at four, one, seven, and I go, okay, is there some regression here, but it just has never come. Uh, it helps when he's got a great defense behind him. He doesn't give up uh, much hard contact. Exactly. At all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but yeah, it's just, if this guy is this good now and it's clear that he has some things to work on, you know, lefties still give him trouble from yep. time to time. And by trouble, I say, you know, it's not like a lot of trouble because he's giving up, uh, you know, a 250 average, a 310 on base, and a 366 slug yeah. this year against lefties. It's yeah. not like they're beating the shit out of him, but it's clearly the worst side of his platoon. Um, you know, if he can get that straightened out, I mean, what kind of ridiculous numbers is he going to put up? Because, you know, righties really have no chance against Alec Manoa. Yeah, righties. It's that slider down and away to righties is, uh, you know, murder. It's just, it's impossible uh, for the most part. He, he has shown you know, a better ability at times this year against left-handers, you know, mixing in four seam, two seam. If one's not working, it goes to the other. That changeup continues to be, I think, a work in progress. He occasionally will flip in some absolute gems to lefties. And that, I think, is really the the big barometer for how he can be against lefties. Like, if that changeup can become a more dependable option in all situations, especially as a put-away selection against left-handed batters, then he's in a really good spot. And like that might allow him to juice his strikeout numbers a little bit because they're down this year. Last year, he was over uh, a strikeout per inning pitched. And this year he's just under, I think he's like at, at eight point eight point two. last year is 10.2. And I, I think he can get closer to a batter per inning certainly should be above a batter per inning. But like I said, the fact that he's not, missing that many bats, but is still finding a way to pitch to a 2.24 ERA speaks to just his ability to get the most out of his stuff. Even if he doesn't get that many easy outs with strikeouts, he's just still finding a way. And I think he could be one of those pitchers who just outperforms his peripherals uh, every year. Like the anti like if Alex Cobb, I feel like never his peripherals are always great. And his ERA is actually always worse because like you said, <laughs> He, he it's the contact, the balls in play that I feel like often have your FIP and your ex-FIP higher. But when the contact is soft, sometimes you'll get BABIP. There's no doubt. Like that's the, the downside to relying on contact. But when you generally make the contact soft, as Manoa does, more often than not, it's going to find gloves, especially with a good defensive team for the most part behind him, which he has now. So I don't see any reason going forward that even if he doesn't get the strikeout numbers back up to where they were last year, that he won't be able to pitch to a three ERA or lower. 
So I don't want to get like way ahead of myself because obviously the Blue Jays have a lot of other things on their plate right now. But um, we know uh, in the offseason, um, you know, Bo Bichette, Alec Manoa, two guys that uh, weren't exactly super happy about the numbers that they got as far as their arbitration goes. And, yep. you know, the Tampa Bay Rays have done it in the past with guys like Evan Longoria and, you know, uh, other players like that that they locked up uh, long term. But, you know, is this a situation where, you know, Alec Manoa is not Bo Bichette. He's not Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Those guys, you know, came for money. Those guys got, um, you know, money, obviously, uh, as draft picks. And Manoa got a ton of money as an early round draft pick, too, in the first round. But, you know, is there a potential here where he can be approached in the offseason and you say, Alec, are you interested in a long-term deal, you lock him up at, at a number um, before he gets even better. Um, and then you're going to be paying out the wazoo even more, or do you kind of just let this play out? Because with pitchers, you just never know. I mean, it could very easily knock on wood. Um, you know, he gets injured this year, next year after you sign a deal and then you're up shit's Creek a bit. Um, or, you know, could you um, actually talk uh, long-term uh, uh, with Alec Minow at some point this off season to at least, you know, get that certainty um, with, with a guy who's, you know, obviously uh, trending towards becoming one of the, the better pitchers in all of baseball. I, I would certainly approach him. And I, I don't think that it's, the same situation, but you look at what the Marlins did with uh, Sandy Alcantara. They signed him to it's looking like one of the best contracts, you know, in baseball. I think it was five years, 56 million. And uh, there's a club option in there and he's not a free agent until after his age 31 season. So they bought out probably a lot of his, is really good years. He could still be great from 32 and beyond, but considering how hard he throws, it's hard to say it was a sound investment by the Marlins. Like, do you look at Manoa and say, you know, maybe a five, six year extension somewhere in the $60 million range. Maybe there is something to be said for that. Like I understand, you know, you take on risk. There's inherent risk when you sign any pitcher to any longer term type of contract, but you know, I I'm okay with it. Like, you know, you can't operate with that in your mind. You, you know, you bet on the guys that you feel like can be contributors for you in the present and in the future. And there's no question that Alec Manoa is going to be that type of guy. And uh, yeah, you absolutely owe it to yourself to try and explore uh, something with that. Like you're going to have to buy out some arbitration years and, 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 you know, like a couple of free agent years potentially as well. But, you know, with the right type of offer, he clearly loves pitching here. I do think that there could be something to be said um, for having him uh, locked up beyond, you know, just are going year to year on arbitration. Well, that's the thing. It's not, uh, you know, some underhanded kind of thing, but, you know, do you maybe take advantage of the emotions where the guy's happy here right now and the team's good? And, you know, you can present an offer as opposed to, you know, maybe three years from now and uh, the, team, the team's not good. And uh, maybe there's, you know, guys like Vladdy and Bo are on the outs and there's things are the things are not as rosy. I mean, uh, it might be tough in that uh, moment to try to get a deal done here. But, you know, once again, you're not in a rush. He doesn't become a free agent until 2028. And at that point, you know, Kevin Gossman's going to be off the books. Ryu obviously is going to be off the books. Like there's going to be somebody available, you know, Flatty Bo, if they're still here, those guys are going to need uh, some money down the road too. Um, but uh, yeah, just threw it out there. We don't have to have the the big time conversation with Alec Manoa because he's obviously not going anywhere, but I uh, thought it was interesting to at least uh, touch on it. Cause like you said, there's other young pitchers around major league baseball signing these long-term deals. And uh, those teams are pretty happy with the returns so far. 
All right, before we get to listener questions, and as always, you can reach us at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 3-4 at Che Goldberg 12. Want to talk about uh, one of the hottest hitting Blue Jays right now and uh, a guy who might be in consideration for player of the week uh, next week, just based off of how things are going. Well, I guess no, Aaron Judge just won player of the week. So uh, maybe not, as uh, I just see that coming across Twitter. But uh, maybe as far as Blue Jays go, player of the week, Rymel Tapia, who had uh, quite a series against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, a lot of fortunate bounces, of course, for Tapia with uh, Jaron Duran losing that ball in the night sky. Now he did pick up a base clear triple on a well-deserved uh, base hit on uh, Sunday. But you uh, look at the season he's had now, Josh, since uh, the beginning of June, he's had 119 plate appearances, a 154 WRC plus, a hilarious 14% K rate and a 1.7% yeah. walk rate. The man does not want to reach base via base on balls. He is uh, only about swinging the bat. Two walks in his last uh, 35 games, which is uh, pretty hilarious, but just kind of makes me think of, you know, when they initially made the trade uh, prior to the season for Randall Gritchick, and uh, I remember going straight to YouTube to find, uh, you know, some video on uh, Rymel Tapia. And there was a video. I'll never forget it. You can still find it. It's called Rymel Tapia is the best bad player yeah. in baseball. Yep. Um, and it was basically just about how this guy uh, puts the ball in play, hits a ball on the ground a lot, but every once in a while can run into one. I mean, he took, I think, Jacob deGrom deep last year on just like an absolute nuke like from time to time he can uh, leave the yard and I thought okay that's kind of interesting he's obviously not going to play every day well lo and behold Teoscar Hernandez got hurt and uh, Rymel Tapia was playing a lot uh, him and Bradley Zimmer both and they were atrocious for the first two months and Zimmer unfortunately has not been able to, to figure it out um, but you know Tapia who a lot of people were calling for him to be DFA yeah. in April and May and why is this guy even on the team should have kept Rand Randall Gritchick, whoa, we'll have the tape uh, turntables have turned, yeah. uh, as they like to say. I um, mean, here we are now with Rymel Tapia not carrying the offense, but man, he has become such an integral offensive piece with this uh, Blue Jays team. Randall Gritchick is, uh, for reference, slugging 393, playing half his games at Coors Field. So uh, Randall Gritchick stinks. And, uh, you know, that was a, I love that trade. Because, like, I understand Tapia has his deficiencies. He's not particularly good defensively. It's not the prettiest uh, style in the world. I've compared him. I tweeted this out. He's the wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing <laughs> tube man on a baseball field. It's just, he's a wild ride to watch out there. Just everything about it. Like, he helicoptered. I think it was his first, maybe his first at bat after the All Star break in that first game. He helicoptered his bat on a swing over the fence and almost. Uh, you know, brained a guy at Fenway park. He's just, it's a lot watching him, but he provides something that I feel like this team needed, which are, you know, he's got contact skills. He does swing and miss, but he doesn't strike out that much. He puts the bat on the ball and you know, the Jays, I think they like the same way Kikuchi was a, a process and that hasn't paid dividends. Like they clearly saw something in, in Tapia's game and, you know, said, we're going to try and get him to hit the ball in the air more, hit more fly balls and line drives instead of just, he was just beating the ball on the ground for years and trying to use his speed to, you know, be a, a maniac out there and, and manufacture stuff. And that was never really a smart move. Like there, he's got a decent look and swing when he, like you said, when he makes contact, he can hit it pretty far. He's been doing that more and more and hitting more gappers and the odd time turning the hands in and, and hitting for some power. 
like it's a it's been good like I I don't really know what else you can say I I understand you can't throw out a, a bad stretch but now he's a league average offensive player when he was absolute dog shit early in the season you didn't if you had told me that Rymel Tapia would end up at any point in this season having a league average WRC plus I probably would have said, no, that's not going to happen. And let alone for it to happen with two full months of the season and change left speaks to what he's been able to do and credit to the Blue Jays, you know, staff and him obviously for getting in the lab and working on some things and now them paying dividends. And he's a good fourth outfielder. Ideally, like I said, he'd be better defensively, but he's still a quality option uh, to have as your fourth outfielder throw in, in a pinch, you know, George Springer doesn't play, uh, as much as I think a lot of people would like in center field, you know, it, it works. And for now you ride it. There probably will be some lean periods here down the stretch. That's just kind of the player he is. But I, I do think that going forward, I'm betting on the bad or rather the good to outweigh the bad. Yeah. He's absolutely the perfect fourth outfielder for this team. Um, you know, the lefty bat off the bench that can run into one. Uh, like you said, the, the process and the approach is just so interesting that, uh, you know, it's a little bit more nuanced than this, but the Blue Jays have effectively told him just like, you can hit the ball really hard, just swing as hard as you can. And, you know, your contact skills are so good, you know, whatever happens, happens. And uh, that's what he's kind of doing right now. It's just swinging at everything. And from time to time, he's going to hit a hammer, a ball. Like I, it was hilarious to me. I think it was in the Kansas city series. Um, he smashed a ball to center field and like, he put his head down and he was like, ah, oh, geez, like that's going to be an out. And I think it went to the wall. And then even on the Jaron Duran one, yeah. you know, maybe if Duran gets a get better jump and reaction and actually sees the ball, he probably catches that but he hit that ball to the warning track at Fenway Park like that's a long long way out there when he thought he like just popped it up so you know it just goes to show you the type of power that uh, Tapia has but he's been playing an okay uh you know defensive outfield obviously has the speed to go first to third to score from first on a ball to the gap um it's been a lot of fun to watch him um but yeah if uh, it's a situation where the Blue Jays can find an upgrade on him there's a name in particular, of course, that uh, is out there that we'll get to in a moment here. Um, but even if he's with this team uh, for the rest of the season, uh, you're going to find it's going to be hard to find, you know, someone that uh, can bring that level of production um, for, you know, what he provides. Um, so he's been really strong and has been a big part for this Blue Jays team, especially these uh, last three games against the Boston Red Sox. All right, let's get to the uh, listener questions. And uh, we're just going to combine a bunch of these here because a lot of them are related to one uh, Juan Soto, who uh, continues to be on the trade block, and by all accounts, from you know all the reports out there, Josh, it seems pretty likely that he's going to be on the move. I know Mark Feinstein of MLB.com uh, did uh, pulled a bunch of executives around Major League Baseball. I think it was eight seven the voting as far as you know would Soto move or would he not. So I think it was you know close to fifty fifty. Um, but just you know all the other national reporters out there seems pretty confident. They seem pretty confident that he's probably going to get dealt. Um, so, you know, Padres, Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, Blue Jays, Cardinals, I mean, all the teams you would expect to be in on one Soto are going to be uh, in on him. So just, uh, you know, consolidating a bunch of these, Nick says, do we really need Soto? This team can really hit when they're on. I think we focus on pitching. Uh, Omar says, if the Jays make one following trade, do they go for Soto or do they go for Otani? Brady says, you need to lock up either Vladdy or Soto for a lifetime deal. Uh, which player do you choose if you were a GM? So a lot 
lots to get to on the Soto front, but, you know, as you had some more time to, to think about it, um, you know, if you're looking at pitching or you're looking at Juan Soto, uh, which direction uh, are you going? All things being equal. I, I still really like Juan Soto and, and, and would, would be totally on board with the idea of making a big splash uh, for Juan Soto. Like, I just don't think that realistically the Jays are going to have the horses that they're prepared to part with because, you know, it sounds like Washington wants some combination of four to five top prospects and major leaguers with limited service time. So like Bo Bichette, I guess this is his third full year. Well, I guess 2020 doesn't really count, you know, towards, I don't remember, or did it? I, I can't, I honestly, that the whole season was a blur if it counted yeah. as a full year of service time. So he's already got some under his belt. Like he's not that far away from free agency. I, I don't think that that's necessarily what the Nats would want. And I don't think the Jays would want to move Bo in that situation. And you could empty your prospects, but I just don't think that the Jays have uh, what it takes realistically to get a deal done. So almost by default, uh, a pitcher, pitchers, I think, um, make a lot of sense. Like I've, I've started to really warm up to Luis Castillo. I, I still think that, is probably likely as much as it pains me to say, I have a hard time not seeing him ending up with the Yankees, but I, I feel like I've read that a lot of executives and, and people within the, you know, rumor mill seem to think maybe three top 25 prospects, uh, probably two top tens and then one lower for Luis Castillo. If that's the price tag, baby i am paying that every day he is really really fucking good like i i I understand that he's probably not getting that much spotlight because he pitches for a just dumpster of a team in cincinnati (laughs) but he misses bats you know he doesn't his walks are, are low he can you know get some ground balls he pitches deep into ball games he throws lots of pitches He's got a great arsenal. He is, would be money in the bank and the Jays should be in on him, especially if that is the the reported price tag. But I I fear that uh, it's probably not going to be. And then Montes, if I feel like I, I'm not paying the same freight because of the shoulder Mm -hmm. issues, like that's concerning to me. He came back. I think he had five strikeouts and three innings. Like, what are you expecting? Guy with with some inflammation already in his shoulder, like I, I'm not saying I'm closed off to it, but I'm not paying the same freight that I would have before the injury. And if some other team wants to, that's fine, but that's too much risk for me. Yeah. I'm on the same page with you, you know, Frankie Montas, the shoulder thing freaks me out a little bit. I'm, I'm not necessarily a guy that's always, Oh, okay. You know, the big bad, a, at least clearly it's the best division in all of baseball. The teams are incredibly strong um, this year. Uh, but I will say it doesn't hurt when you see the numbers Luis Castillo has put up in a limited sample against the AL East this year, you know, six innings, no runs, 10 strikeouts against the Red Sox back in May, um, seven innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts against the Rays earlier this month. And then eight strikeouts, one earned run, seven innings against the Yankees. So, I mean, if you're one of those people, it's all, can he make the transition and actually pitch in this division? You know, it's only three starts, but, uh, pretty clear that this guy can pitch anywhere, uh, earth, Mars, uh, Uh, Jupiter, the moon, like he's uh, incredibly talented and he's going to get the job done. He's going to be the most coveted pitcher um, at the deadline, unless some other name, you know, pops up him and Frankie Montas, but uh, pretty clear that he's going to be uh, one a, Um, you know, Omar did ask about Soto or or Otani. Um, 
you know, we saw the report from Ken Rosenthal um, the other day that Otani is not going to get dealt. Artie Marino wants to keep him uh, basically as like a, a circus elephant that yeah. he brings in so much money uh, through revenue that uh, he can't afford to let him go because it's just going to be so terrible for his business if uh, he trades Otani. doesn't want to be even more of a villain uh, at this point. So uh, maybe in a couple of years when he goes to free agency uh, and maybe the Blue Jays, who obviously have had interest in the past, who wouldn't, uh, but they, you know, presented Otani with a whole uh, presentation and we're ready to, you know, go to the wall for him. And he didn't end up coming to uh, Toronto, obviously. Uh, but uh, that doesn't seem like uh, a reasonable thing to uh, chat about right now at the deadline for Otani. But uh, if he was available, my goodness, uh, what a conversation um, that would be. Uh, Brady, though, asked, uh, who are you picking, Vladdy or Soto for a lifetime contract? You know, last year, I think it would have been a really interesting conversation. You know, this year, Vladdy's obviously having a down season. Soto started poorly, but is creeping back up to his career norms and beyond. I think it's still, you know, an interesting conversation, depending on who you talk to, um, you know, with both of these guys at their absolute peak. I think that's probably the conversation, you know, at their peak, who's better. Um, I think I still probably lean towards Soto, mostly yeah. because of the body. Um, you know, who knows how Vlad's going to age um, as we get closer to his 30s. So that's where I would go. Um, but if we were having this conversation in 2021, I think it would have been really interesting. Yeah, it would have been. I, I still think it's Soto. I, I don't, I, to me, is it, I, it, it probably is close, but like Juan Soto's having a quote unquote bad year and he's still been 50% better. He's bad at 250, Josh. He's bad at yeah, 250. He, yeah, he's hitting 250, <laughs> so he sucks. That's what everyone says. He's got a 401 on base. Yeah, you know, like he's only slugging 484, but he's still got 20 home runs. He's got a 20% walk rate and a 14% strikeout rate. He's a perfect offensive player. Like Vladdy, when he's locked in, is sort of of the same mold. And I know Soto stinks defensively in the outfield. And like odds are, as he gets older, he's probably going to be DH realistically because he's just, if he's bad when he's young, it's only going to get worse. But I'd be willing to bet on his offensive game just being more consistent at the high end. And the left-handed bat, I think, also probably breaks the, the deal. Uh, the tie, if you want to say. So I'd, I'd give Soto the nod. Yeah, I'm leaning that way as well. Let's uh, get in one more here. Michael G uh, says, uh, Lourdes Scurriel's stats are comparable to prior years, yet the power is noticeably down. Uh, why is that uh, with Gurriel? He also says, why hasn't uh, he batted at the top of the lineup instead of Espinal uh, when Springer is out of the lineup? Well, we did see him get the bump up to the three spot with uh, Alejandro Kirk getting the day off uh, on Sunday. But yeah, the, the power definitely down for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. this year. Uh, I was actually just you know peeking through his numbers today. Uh, you know, career high ISO back in 2019 of 264. Uh, 2020, it was 226. Last year, it was 190. And this year, it's 122. So it's been creeping down and down and down, but so is the strikeout rate. And it yep. almost feels like that's what has happened here. Um, that Gurriel Jr. has, you know, obviously worked out a game plan with Guillermo Martinez and, and the hitting coaches to, you know, become more of a contact guy and less of a, you know, streaky power hitter. I think it's really just to get the streaks, uh, the cold streaks out of his game that uh, if he becomes more of a contact guy, um, that uh, there's going to be less valleys for him. And, uh, you know, the stretch that he's been on has been remarkable. Uh, you know, I would love to see Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hit more bombs because we know he has that power in him. But if he's going to get on base at the clip that he's getting on right now, I am not going to complain uh, about that. Yeah, like I, I look at his numbers and 
like his hard hit rate, I think is the highest or second highest uh, of his career. I think it was like 50% in 2020. Uh, like his launch angle is similar. He's just not barrel. His barrel percentage is 4.5%. Last year was 9.6% for his career. It's almost 9%. So it's basically been cut in half and he's just not, I guess, barreling up balls, which are generally going to lead to screaming extra base hits and home runs. So I think that it's as simple as that. Like, yeah, sure. Would I love him to hit more home runs? Definitely. But I, he's been, you can't argue that he's been very valuable this year and, and, and very important. And, you know, somebody who knocks in runs in big spots, you know, has his approach has gotten a lot better. He doesn't flail at pitches at down and away like he used to. He's a lot more selective. He makes pitchers kind of come into the zone and he does damage. When pitchers are in the zone, his contact skills are really good. They always have been. I've maintained that, that I've always thought that his contact skills were borderline elite. And we're sort of seeing that a little bit. Like maybe the power comes back. But, you know, like his expected batting average, his hard hit percentage, his strikeout percentage are all very, very good. And for the context of this lineup, he just works the way that he's hitting right now. So I'm not really going to rock the boat. If this is who he is the rest of the season, that's fine. Yeah, that, that is totally fine. Just keep getting on base. Keep hitting the ball um, and getting base hits. They uh, It would be great if they go over the fence, but I'm also fine if they um, get through the right side and uh, bring home a run. Just uh, keep swinging and uh, keep going the way you're going right now, Lourdes. No one is complaining about that. So let's wrap things up with our Teoscars for Player of the Week. And, uh, man, uh, a lot of great candidates. Rymel Tapia, as we touched on. Jimmy Garcia, who's been lights out since returning from the injured list. Lourdes Goriel, who we spoke about, who just continues to swing a hot bat. Danny Jansen just hitting bombs uh, once again, just destroying the green monster uh, over the weekend. Matt Chapman, who quietly continues to be really strong. And uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who has come out of the all-star break, swinging a hot bat. Um, Not exactly making the greatest contact, but uh, hits are hits. And uh, we're going to take them uh, at this point of the season for sure. Who is your Teoscar this week, Josh? I'm going with Tapia, 10 RBIs in a series. I understand that he had a, uh, let's call it a gift with four with an inside the park grand slam, which is still bananas. But you just look at those nice round numbers, hitting 500 since the all-star break in the three games, 500 on base, 1,000 slugging, 1,500 OPS, two strikeouts, no walk, six for 12. A lot of good at bats, the triple, like you mentioned. Yeah, get just a solid weekend for Tapia, continuation of what we've seen here basically for you know almost two months. And uh, I believe this would be his first nod of the year and uh, only three games, so a smaller sample size, but still to me very deserving. Yeah, not going to complain about uh, Rymel Tapia as your selection has uh, just been really strong, as we said, for the last couple of months and uh, was just an absolute wild man this uh, past weekend for the Blue Jays out in Boston. I will also go with Tapia because, like you said, we probably aren't going to pick him again for the rest of the season. I mean, he has been great, but uh, the likelihood of that happening uh, again is uh, pretty small, I would say. But uh, he was a big part as to why the Blue Jays swept the Red Sox with those uh, big games on Friday and Sunday. So Rymel Tapia will be my Teoscar for this week as 
well. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 at Jake Goldberg 12. Make sure you find us in all your favorite podcatchers, like, review, and subscribe as uh, we'll be with you for the rest of the season and hopefully into the playoffs as the Blue Jays once again back in the top wildcard spot set to begin a series, a two-game series against the uh, undermanned St. Louis Cardinals, Josh. No Paul Goldschmidt, no, no uh, Nolan Arenado. It was so funny. Uh, I think it was, uh, I forget which, Twitter account, but I've been talking baseball on Twitter. Uh, like Paul Goldschmidt has like four homers in his last few games. It's like, yeah. who's stopping Goldschmidt? And it's like the Canadian border is stopping <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt because he's not coming here uh, for this series. Then the Tigers come in on the weekend as well. Uh, what are your expectations for the rest of the week? Yeah, this is a good opportunity to get on a little bit of a roll. The rotation for the St. Louis series has uh, allowed you to have uh, Roger Center Barrios is a whole different ball game. He's been excellent uh, basically since he got here, but especially this year, the splits have been pretty drastic. And then you have Gossman again. And then the Tigers, you, know, you took two out of three back in June. They stink. You know, the, I understand that the Royals gave you a tough time, but you still took three out of four. You know, you're, you're playing, I guess, what is it? Is it five games this week? You know, do you have an, is, or is it a four game series? Against, it's a four game uh, series. Against yeah. The so there you go. So you got six. I feel like, any like even four and two might be mildly disappointing, but you'd, you'd take four and two, five and one, something like that. And you should feel like there's a decent chance of that with the way that this club is playing. And, you know, a fortunate, let's call it circumstance with St. Louis. That's all I'll say about it. I don't want to <laughs> wade too much into the waters there. And then a bad team in Detroit. So, you know, you've been talking all season long. This is time. It's time for the Jays to really stack up wins. You know, they've won eight of nine and they have an opportunity to do some more. So let's see if they can go out and grab the bull by the horns. I'm calling it, baby. Six and oh. Wow, the there you go. 12 game win streak the next time we uh, do this podcast. Hot. So, I love it. Uh, clip it uh, when we talk next Monday. Uh, the Jays will just be on an absolute heater. For Josh, I'm Rob. That'll do it for another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. And we will talk to you in a week's time.